meeting is being recorded. Welcome in to another episode of We're Talking. We're talking. We're talking football first, then a little basketball, and we'll say hello to baseball. But right now, I'll be talking to Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. How are you, Danny? Buddy, it's great to see you. It's been a little bit. It's been too long. Uh, all, all my fault, all my fault, all my fault. But I wanted to get you on before you have the road trip from hell here, it seems like. <laughs> you know, the Cajuns did it last week, going to Arkansas State, then the Texas State, then home. So, uh, do you just, uh, I know we talked about, it. I know you guys are flying into Austin, but do you fly directly from Atlanta? Or are you guys going Savannah? No, we will have to go Savannah to Atlanta to Austin. And then when we leave, it'll be early Sunday morning out of Lafayette right back to Atlanta. Oh, ooh, okay. Well, that's probably a, a quicker spot taking the bus down than flying to uh, Savannah and then still having to get home. So, well, good deal. Let's talk about, let's kind of wrap up this football season. It's been a while since football season's uh, been over. I don't want to go into every game, but your thoughts on the bowl games, how they turned out, any any surprises there? Well, we knew that we had seven bowl eligible teams, and that's something that had never happened before. And when the first three won, you thought, okay, this is going to be business as usual because, as we know, the Sun Belts had the highest FBS winning percentage in the college football playoff era. But then of the last four, nobody won. <laughs> it was unfortunate because – it seemed like the Cajuns were going to knock off Houston. It seemed like Georgia Southern had a great chance against Buffalo, but just didn't make enough plays. Had a couple of opportunities in the red zone that only resulted in six points. Defensively, it was unfortunate because I think they played their best game of the year against an FBS team. But still, going three and four, the Sun Belt still has the highest bowl winning percentage in the college football playoff era. So I think you would have to say that the first year of a 14-team league was pretty successful. Yeah, I watched uh, being home after surgery. Uh, I got to lot, watch a lot of football and a lot of basketball over the last uh, four or five weeks. Now, I don't know what it's been. I don't even know what day of the week it is. Uh, but, yeah, uh, you know, I, I was – two teams the Cajuns have played, two teams the Cajuns had lost to. Uh, Rice and, and, and Southern Miss. It was good to see Southern Miss. I think that's a program on the rise that will definitely challenge for the West in the future. Did you have an opportunity to see much of that game? I mean, or, or just the program in general? Yeah, we actually watched a good bit of that when it was interesting in a couple of fronts because Rice got in only because of their APR because they were five and seven. So they had that spot that needed to be filled. And then Frank Gore Jr. goes and breaks the bowl rushing record. So <laughs> it was pretty interesting to watch. But yeah, for, for Southern Miss, after the way that a year ago went, look, I know that they won their final two games. I think they ended up three and nine. They introduced the country to what was called a super back, where they basically ran wildcat all the time, and they incorporated it into their actual offense this year. And look, I know that Georgia Southern did play them. I know the Cajuns did. But to watch Frank Gore not only go for over a thousand yards, but also have the throwing talent that he did and how aggressive that defense was. I would think that they're going to be even better once we get to 2023. I'm, I'm really impressed by that program and we're not going to see him for a couple of years just because of the league alignment, but it, it's one from afar you can watch and be, be really impressed by them and be really proud that they're in this conference. He's a special uh, kind of player, uh, Frank Gore. Do you see him playing at the next level? Yeah, okay. he, he's going to get a shot, whether he has success or not. And whatever league he ends up in, we'll find out. But he's absolutely going to get a chance somewhere. Okay. Biggest surprise of the bowl season for you? A particular game? Or I will say, okay, there, there's a little bit of a qualifier here because yeah. with Coastal – I think everybody expected them to lose. Most people expected them to lose. And that was with Grayson McCall playing. But once he got knocked out, it became an even easier, well, this isn't going to be pretty. And 
Holton Allers for East Carolina, who's been their starting quarterback for the last three years now. One of the few lefties that still plays quarterback in college football. He was outstanding. I, I don't know that there were many, very many teams that were going to beat them, but for Coastal, it almost felt like it was a very fitting way to close out the Jamie Chadwell era because he was already gone to Liberty and Chad Staggs was just trying to do what he could with that team. You, you never really felt good about their chances, especially against an East Carolina team that's been really solid for the most part for a while now. But now that it's Tim Beck and a largely different staff, I know McCall's back, but that probably piques a lot of people's interest going into 23 because we know what McCall did running that version of the spread option, but how is that going to be adapted under a new coach? That, that'll be a really big storyline once we get into next summer for media days and all that jazz. I, I agree with you. I think that uh, I, I agree with everything you said there. I, you know, the, they were the number one team in the East minus James Madison, but at the same time uh, that, you know, they were there, they were in the championship game. Uh, I, but you're right. Once McCall went out, you could see that was that was the end. But uh, I guess for me, the biggest surprise, and I know Cajun fans are going to hate me for this, but it, it was the Cajuns. Uh, I know we didn't win, but at the same time, just to play as well as we did in, in those type of conditions, and I know both teams are from the South, but to me that was the biggest surprise there. I mean, it took – almost till the end of the game for Houston to pull away with that. And the Cajuns still had an opportunity to tie the game. So um, I, I'm kind of proud of them. I shouldn't say I'm kind of, I'm very proud of them with the adversity they went through this year and new coaching staff, uh, very happy with there. But on the other end too, though, I guess it wasn't so much of a surprise in the fact that Troy was the most dominating team in the league, except for, their loss to App State on a last play, you know. So uh, that game to me uh, with UTSA, and I know I said we weren't going to go through them all, but I'm kind of looking at it. Not, and, but you know th that was a pretty good game there. And the Troy defense stepped up. I, I, I really thought the Troy offense might have had a few more points there. Well, I remember talking about that the last time we did one of these, thinking about UTSA's offense that was scoring nearly 40 a game against Troy's all-world defense, and it turned out to be a defensive struggle, and Troy needed to make a lot of plays in the second half to win that game, but great for that program. We knew that John Sumrall was the right guy. It just took a couple of more years to get him there, and I, look, I don't know that Troy's going to win 11 games every year, but I think that they proved what they could do, and one that we probably forgot to mention is as well as South Alabama played this season to go and lay a dud in the New Orleans Bowl against Western Kentucky. That that was a little bit, okay, maybe the Jags had a lot of improvement. Maybe they're not quite ready to be where they think they should be. But granted, Western Kentucky had one of the top offenses in the country. And you know, from Georgia Southern standpoint, could speak to that a little bit more because it's a very similar system. Austin Reed was a quarterback, and the kind of season that he had was mirrored a little bit by what Bailey Zappi did the year before. But I, I expected a little bit more out of South Alabama, considering that they didn't have to travel all that far to get to that game. It was a much more difficult trip for Western Kentucky. Now I say difficult trip just because it was longer, not like they had to go through go through rivers or go over top of mountains or anything like that. But I'm, I, I, I expect a little bit more out of South Alabama considering the kind of season they had it clearly their best since moving up. Yeah. When, when, when Western Kentucky jumped out to uh 31 to three lead at the half, I, that was probably the most shocking part for me. Uh, not that they got beat, but how badly they played in that game. And, and that's when I say that though, Western Kentucky still gets to play. Western Kentucky still has athletes on scholarship. Western Kentucky was a better team. So, um, Lastly, before we move away from football, I'm seeing lots of things, and, and I know some of it's not official, some of it's official, but on Twitter with the transfer portal. How, how – I, I know you can't speak for every, for every team, but – 
how is Georgia Southern handling that? Are they are they trying to pick up some guys or, you know, I, I know there's some new difficulty with some of the transfer rules, but uh, so everybody's got to be a little bit cautious. But what's your thought on how Georgia Southern's handling that from what you've seen? Oh, it's almost like a game of guess who for everybody in the country because teams are going to have guys that have played at at least two and three stops now. But specifically for the Eagles, they got 19 guys signed on National Signing Day in December. They got 12 transfers in from the portal that have enrolled and they're going to be involved in spring practice once that begins here within the next few weeks. They wanted to go big on offensive and defensive lines. They had to get a little bit bigger up front on both sides. And then they needed to add a little bit at wide receiver and in the secondary, since those were some of the areas of loss, whether it was by graduation or just by natural attrition. But it, it's different for everybody. And for some teams, they got to go a little bit heavier on the portal and a little bit lighter on signing day and vice versa. And keep in mind here in the next few days, you've got the February signing period, which still does exist for guys that didn't make that decision in December about where they wanted to go. And then and even though the portal has closed, there's still going to be guys that trickle in during the summer because you need to make sure about the clearance of academic credits if you're talking about junior college guys. So in terms of roster management, there is a lot that needs to take place. And when you've got 130-some Division I teams all trying to figure that out, it, it, it can get a little bit messy. But a lot of times you see that guys that end up with new teams, you probably recognize them from spots before because they're just looking for a home and looking to have better success at a different destination. Am I right in saying that uh, I, I thought I read something that when an individual signs with the Cajuns or whomever it might be, if they have three years left uh, and they leave after a year from transferring, that that team is responsible for the last two years of his scholarship even though he transfers out, if he's a transfer in, you understand what I'm saying there? Did I say that right? Well, I think that scholarships being year to year would limit that a little bit. But what I understand now is that the NCAA is trying to pass legislation that makes it difficult for guys to transfer more than once. You're going to get the one-time waiver almost everywhere now. But they're trying to limit this whole guys playing at at least three or four different stops. Now, look, there's a JT Daniels, a Keaton Slovis, a Lane Hatcher, which has played at two different Sunbelt schools. And now Georgia Southern is going to see him at Ball State in the fall. He's likely going to be the starting quarterback up there when Georgia Southern goes to Muncie in September. But they're really trying to limit the multiple transfers to have to get back into that waiver process where, look, I understand that if guys want to go for a number of reasons, there's there's nothing to stop you. But when it becomes two and three times, you have to examine those as to say, what is the basis for this? Is there something that is legitimate or is this a, mm -hmm. let's just keep bouncing until there's a home? Yeah. All right. Well, enough football talk, enough transfer talk. Let's jump into basketball. We're not going to do a deep dive into uh, – the seasons that happened so far, but uh, as far as, you know, pulling up the Sunbelt Conference standings, Marshall Southern Miss, Louisiana at the top at six and two, Troy, Georgia Southern, ULM next at five and three. What is your thought on the Sunbelts? Again, uh, just any big surprises, any little surprises, and it could be, uh, someone that's playing better than they ex than you expected, and then maybe someone you, you expected to be better than they are? I think the biggest surprise in the league, and I, I think that everybody would probably agree about this one, is Southern Miss. Look, they won seven games last year, and they got Felipe Hase and Neftali Alvarez, the transfers from Mercer, a product of hiring Juan Cardona as a new assistant coach. And from George Southern's standpoint, I can tell you we've watched – Hase two years and not conference play saw Alvarez in that 2020 game in Statesboro where they won at the buzzer. I know he's been dealing with injury and they're trying to get him back into the rotation, but even so they've been one of the league's best teams because not only can they score, but they can really, really defend. They're number one in the league in scoring defense. 
And I think that even if they don't win the league, they'd be somebody that would be a viable postseason team. And look, Marshall is a really good offensive team. I think that they head to Louisiana as part of that homestand coming up. And that that that's going to be a game that is worthy of watching because Marshall's offense is really good. The Cajuns look to be one of the best teams in the league. Georgia Southern's going to be down there, of course, on Saturday. On the other side, though, maybe expect a little bit more out of Coastal and South Alabama, especially considering that Isam Mustafa is back for his third year as a starter. I know that they've got a lot of new moving parts at guard, but Antonio Day, who has played at FIU and Fordham, I don't know that anybody is going to be able to stay in front of him as he tries to go to the rim. Josh Aduje from London was named player of the week earlier today. He's had at least 25 points in three straight games. So he's really figured some things out offensively. I think they just have some consistency issues. But for South Alabama to be only two and six, but to have the league's best big man in Kevin Samuel, somebody that's going to block close to three shots per game. He's the nation's active leader in career rebounds. I know he missed some time because of a knee injury. And I know that they've also had to get creative with some of their recruiting. And Georgia Southern saw them the first game of conference play. They won't see them again because of the imbalanced scheduling. But, yeah, I, seeing them at two and six is a little bit weird. Seeing Coastal struggle, maybe a little bit weird. But certainly for Southern Miss, look, we know after the 8-0 start that they were going to be really good. But to keep that going in conference play outside of stubbing their toe at Louisiana and at Marshall, Southern Miss – is really good. And I think you would have to say that Jay Ladner is probably the coach of the year at this point. Very nice. Okay. Uh, I, I agree with you on South Alabama. I'm just, and I know I, I, I'm not going to ask you your thoughts, and, uh, but I, I think Rich Riley's days might be numbered there if he doesn't pick something up there. I think there's more, more, more than X's and O's there. That's, that's wrong with South Alabama. So the thing is for them, they've played better lately, but when you take somebody like a Samuel out of the lineup at 7'1", 260, somebody who's just going to disrupt defense by being who he is, by being that big when you can camp him out in the middle, all you have to do is ask James Madison about him. He was the reason why that JMU didn't win that game when they had three shots in the final couple of seconds in that game in Mobile a couple of weeks ago. He, he is a difference maker simply by being who he is. But they're a team that is going to struggle because of the depth issues. You, you know that Coach Riley never really has a deep rotation. They might go six or seven deep, even though they do seem to play their best basketball by the end of the season, and they are improved since the start of the year. You have to look at two and six and wonder what's going on. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I just – I'm not a fan of his. wasn't as a fan of his when he's at Nickel State, and that's all I'm going to say. We'll move on from there. Uh, quick question, though, about Old Dominion. I know a player went down when they were at in Statesboro uh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Did he come back to the bench? I did not see that. He did. Emo in their starting point guard, he did come back to the bench during that game. He has not played since. I think he's still going through some medical testing to try to clear their protocol. And considering that was just a couple of days after the DeMar Hamlin incident happened with the Buffalo Bills, everybody was just, this is happening here, but he just, he fell down in the middle of a Georgia Southern possession. He, he started coughing. He had been getting over some illness. I think he had the flu for a little while. He just, he fell down during the, during the rhythm of play. The coughing was really loud. It was so loud that I could hear it with both earphones on from the other side of the floor. They took him off the court just to get him looked at. He did sit and watch the rest of the game on the bench. He has not returned since, but the hope is that they can get him back because that's another team that doesn't go exceptionally deep. And it's put, it's put some more stress on their guards. It's a very strong defensive team, but you know that they would love to get Emo Essien back for, for a number of different reasons. Yeah, that was a scary moment. I was watching that game, and when he went down, like you said, Lamar Hamlin, it just – it, 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 you never want to see that, whether it's your team or the other team. It's just not uh, a fun, fun thing to watch. So uh, I, I hope the young man recovers fully. So uh, I, one thing I did not realize, the Cajuns played Arkansas State the other night. And uh, what, what's their coach's name? Bellagio? Bergio? Or <laughs> Bellato? Mike Bellato. Bellato, Yeah. I did not realize how bad his actual record is, and he's been there six freaking years. I mean, 
besides the fact that he's a total ass, I mean, I mean, how do you keep some? I mean, I you know, I I, I used to to mess a little bit with uh, John Brady on Twitter. We'd have some interaction, and and he would respond. Now, I mean, fun stuff, not not really bad, you know. Uh, and he he would. But I mean, and Brady was an ass on the court too. But I mean, he makes this guy look like a. Uh, I mean, Brady looks like a saint after this. Watching this guy. Well, in Arkansas State's case, look, they beat Old Dominion in the first game of league play and lost the next seven. And they've lost their last seven. They won that game in Norfolk, and I think at that time they had a three-game winning streak. But they've had a number of close games since. They had. Shots against ULM, against Texas State, against the Cajuns. They took Marshall to overtime last weekend and had a chance to beat the Thundering Herd. And, you know, we've talked about how good their offense is. But they've got good individual talent. Caleb Fields is somebody that we've watched the last four years. Marquise Davis is somebody that's been hurt a number of times. He looks like he's finally healthy. But Omar Al-Sheikh out of Egypt, he's basically taken over as their double-double guy with North Shadow Mir transferring to Miami. Omar Al-Sheik has become their double-double guy. So when you lose a guy like Omir, you're probably thinking, how are we going to counter for that? Well, they've been able to slide somebody in. Certainly not the caliber of player that Omir was, but numbers-wise, at least he is getting them close to the aggregate of where they were. He, he was fun to watch, even though it was he was playing against the Cajuns. I thought he was a, a, he was a very good basketball player. And if Dr. Maggard, if by chance you're listening, no, I don't need a phone call to tell me to stop talking about other teams' coaches. I'll be. I'll stop it from here on out. But wait, wait. Has that happened before? No, it hasn't. Okay. But I, it wouldn't surprise me. Okay. I've got other responsibilities besides this podcast that they might feel that it's inappropriate. I will say, and that's why I've tried to keep somewhat a professional demeanor. But you know, you made me sit down with a drink tonight, and I just, I, I just lost control there for a little bit. So, uh, James Madison, to me, is a big surprise, especially where they started. I really thought that they were going to – I really expected them to be up there six and two, you know, seven and one, uh, the way they started this season. I, what what has happened to them? Is they have, have they had someone hurt or – Well, the non-conference schedule was not strong. They were able to – pound some weaker teams and look, they, they lost a number of games and their non-conference schedule due to a lot of different reasons. There was, there was a game that they were supposed to have played against Norfolk state that or Morgan state. I mean, that just got canceled and they were supposed to visit Morgan state. Morgan state said, no, thanks. We don't want the game, which was really, really weird. And they ended up going to Coppin state instead. And that was crazy because that game got delayed almost an hour because the officials didn't show up. And then that game went to double overtime and Coppin State won. So that ended up being a really bad loss for JMU, even though they had to fight back from 16 points down just to get it to overtime. They had another Division I opponent. I think it was Colgate that backed out of the Savannah tournament they were in at End Market Arena. They ended up having to play Coastal Georgia. And, of course, they won that game by a bunch just because because it's not a team that is going to be on the same court with them. It, it is the deepest team in the league. They've got a lot of guys that can defend. They play extremely fast. That's that's a team that Georgia Southern saw the weekend before up in Harrisonburg, and they couldn't miss. They had really struggled their previous couple of games, especially from three. But uh, no, the South Dakota straight, State transfer, Noah Friedel went nuts. He had six threes. Otto Morse was coming back from illness. He had missed three games. He's healthy, and he's the one that hit the game winner against Troy last weekend to get them a victory in overtime at Trojan Arena. They can play up to 12 guys, and you know that I can speak a little bit more candidly on that because of Mark Byington being the coach there because he spent five years here. This is the deepest team that he has ever had. That's including his time in Statesboro. If they can figure a way to consistently defend they're going to be a team that's right in it at the end. But the fact that they play as fast as they do and they have as many offensive weapons as they do, they're a nightmare to try to play against. Yeah, I was a little surprised when I saw him uh, uh, on one of the shots on one of the games I was watching. I hadn't realized, has he been there since he left Georgia Southern? 
that's yeah. He the his final game at Georgia Southern was the quarterfinals of the SoCon or the Sun Belt tournament in 20, right before COVID, winning up at Georgia State up on the third floor. I know there's no more third floor, but he won that game. That was his final game. He went to JMU right after that, and this is his third year there. Okay, well, good for him. Kind of, I guess he was might have been a little shocked to be back in the Sun Belt though. <laughs> We got to do another podcast for that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or we just may have to drink off air and talk about it. Uh, you know, it's funny because he's at JMU now and uh, UTA's, uh, what, what's that's at Troy now? I forgot his name. Scott Cross. Scott Cross, yes. You know, to, to me, Troy is one of the scariest teams because I think Scott Cross is a good basketball coach. If he he gets the right, if he gets the right guys in there, that is going to be a very scary team, very similar to what Troy did in football. See, this is different because Georgia Southern does not play Troy this year. That's the one team that they miss in conference play. I do know that they've had a shorter rotation this year. After last year, they were playing, we'll see like 13 or 14 guys, but they've been able to parry some things down. They're always going to be tough on defense and they've got some shooters now where the three-point shot has not been very kind his first part of his tenure but they they're going to be very very tough and I can probably tell you that because that's who you've got yeah. coming up on Thursday night before the Eagles get there oh really <laughs> look at the schedule yeah look oh. at the schedule Oh, man. I just know we got a game Thursday night. Okay. Well, let's wrap this part up, and then we'll then the last part we'll go is look look ahead to the games, and I want to talk a little bit about the travel, but uh, let me make sure we hit, 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 hit. Uh, Ulster Carolina, we talked about it off there, but played uh, Illinois State or Chicago State? It was Chicago State on Monday night, and that that was a weird one because usually when you get into the rhythm of conference play, you've got your Thursday, Saturday if you're in the Sun Belt. Look, I know that's going to get messed up next year with the MAC Sun Belt Challenge, but Chicago State was in the WAC. They're no longer in the WAC. They're one of two independents out of 363 D1 teams. Hartford's the other because Hartford is going to be dropping to Division Three, oh. But Chicago State has had to schedule basically whoever they can, whenever they can. They're supposed to play Stanford this week, but they picked up this game at Coastal. They're 0-16 on the road, and they go to Conway and they win. You know, and, and I know the game got close at the end, but they were up pretty big in the they first half. They were up half. double digits in the first half. Yeah, they, they were up almost the whole game up until about the last, uh, I'd say, 10 minutes or so. Yeah, that that to me, uh, I saw their I saw their four and sixteen record, and I'm going like, all right, Coastal, stop playing with them, go ahead and beat them, run them out of your gym, and then it just never happened. And one of their assistant coaches is Jelani Hewitt, who is a record setter at Georgia Southern. Wow, small world. There you go. Did uh, did they were they asked to leave the walk, or did they leave on their own? Do you know anything about that? Oh, just out of uh, I'm not. I, the only thing I know about the WAC is that it, it, it wasn't necessarily the Western Athletic Conference. Yeah. If you catch my drift, because of how spread out it was. I don't know if they were asked to leave or if it's just how that worked out, but I do know that this is their first year as an independent. Seems like they, I mean, I don't know what the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley conferences have as far as membership, but they're in the right area there. And it seems like that if they're in Chicago, they should be able to recruit a little bit and would be a, an asset possibly to one of those if you're looking at TV contracts, which I know probably don't mean squat for basketball at this level. So I just rambled a little bit and uh, we'll move on to the next subject. All right, coming up, you guys got a trip. And I think everybody pretty much has one of these. I could be wrong. You guys going to Texas State, then you're coming to us. And I think I saw uh, Marshall uh, – well, no, Marshall hosts, hosts ULM and then hosts Georgia State. So 
they're not on the road for those. But Georgia State at App State, then Marshall is not a bad trip. ULM at Marshall and then James Madison, not a bad trip. So, but I guess Old Dominion, South Alabama, then the Coastal. But I guess if you're going to fly, which I know we don't do that all the time, but at the same time, one of the things that happened this weekend in the Cajuns game, we, we shot free throws horribly. And I'm going to get more into that on my Cajun podcast, but how much do you think four games like that on the road, busing from Jonesboro to Memphis, flying from Memphis to Dallas, Dallas to Austin after that, and then busing to San Antonio at the end of a four-game road trip, you know it as announcer being mentally tired, but how do you think, I mean, how much of that affects a team shooting, I guess? And I mean, you got 363 teams. There's probably got 363 different answers to that. But I, I do know that everybody in the league has this four game road trip to deal with. Georgia Southern is about to start its and look, you've got a Texas State team that is the two-time defending regular season champion. I know they're struggling a little bit at home. Got the Cajuns, who have not lost at home this year, even though Georgia Southern's won four in a row at the Cajun Dome. And then you go to Atlanta next Thursday for Southern Knot State. All bets are off there. And then you head to Norfolk against an Old Dominion team that beat Georgia Southern in overtime in the second weekend of league play. So by the end of that, I don't know where their heads are going to be. At least you've got a trip back to Statesboro for a couple of days in between the two game splits. But at the same time, all that travel and in Georgia Southern's case, there's no charters involved. I know some teams in the league can benefit from that. But when you, when you fly commercial, it's, it's probably a little different because you are at the whims of the individual airline when you're chartering. You just need to make sure that the plane is in operating order because you know exactly where you're going. Yeah, it, it's got to be a little bit of mental strain because you're going to mix class in as well. And you're right in the middle of the spring semester. So guys need to figure a way to compartmentalize what they need to take care of in the classroom and then get their minds right for whatever they need to take care of on the court, whether that's at home where the Cajuns have a home stand or with Georgia Southern in the fact that they're going to start this road trip on Thursday. Yeah, I know. And I'm not making excuses here because the Cajuns, uh, but played eight out of 10 on the road uh, in coming into this home stand. Now I think they've got something, some, uh, uh, eight out of 12 at home to finish the season, which if I'm, gonna, if I'm a, a coach, I'd rather do that at the beginning and be home uh, resting uh, and taking my, take, taking my lumps early, I guess, and playing better ball at the end of the season. And luckily the Cajuns have won their last six games. Yeah, but for some teams, if you look at a Texas State, they're – two and seven at home for whatever reason. I don't know that I've seen very many teams at this level that have that kind of home record because at least a couple of those are going to be against non-division one competition. But yes. to be 0-4 at home in conference play is, is an extreme outlier. And then to be 3-1 and one on the road definitely catches your eye, which, you know, from George Southern's perspective, you may be a little bit okay with having to go to Strayan Arena on Thursday, but at the same time, you would think that a team that has Mason Harrell, assuming he comes back off of his injury, that forced him to miss that Saturday game, if he plays, they're a much different team and a much more formidable foe as Georgia Southern tries to get the first game of that four-game road trip. All right. Give me – there's uh, seven games. Give me three games that if you had to choose on Thursday night, the reason I said that, I've got three TVs in, in the bar area, as you know. Now, I will be at the Cajuns game, but give me three games that you're going to say are must-watch must games. And, and then we'll talk about those three and then leave the other ones alone. Oh, boy. Okay. And if you can't have – if you don't – I mean, if there's two, so be it. No, no, no. Uh, just just for the sake of seeding in the conference, I'd have to start with ULM and Marshall, and I don't know that I'd be saying that at the beginning of the season, but ULM has earned their chance to be there at 5-3 and three in league play. They're tied with Georgia Southern for fifth place, just one game out of first, and granted, they ran the Eagles pretty well last Thursday. They couldn't miss a shot in the second half of that game, 
at Marshall, a team that is ridiculously good, especially at home. So that's game three of their four-game road trip. And then they've got to go to James Madison on Saturday so they could serve themselves well if they could perform very well in Huntington before they go to Harrisonburg. Troy and Louisiana has got to be one because the Trojans, just like Louisiana, near the top of the conference with Troy, they're a game out. Cajuns are one of those four teams that are tied at six and two. And then if you're going to pick a third, I'll, I'll, I'll be selfish and say Georgia Southern at Texas State because the Eagles have not played in San Marcos since COVID. In really? fact, the last time that they were there was February of 2020. And Bill Colhane was still the voice of the Texas State Bobcats before he retired. So that's how long it's been since Clint Shields took over. They have not been to Strayed Arena since Clint Shields has taken over as the voice. Now, we've seen Clint a couple of times in football, but but not in basketball at Strayed since 2020. I want to go back to last week real quick because you brought up the ULM and how they played y'all, and then they went to Troy and they lost. But – and I don't say this often, and I know – I'm just curious if you would ever say it, though. Not with ULM, but you – I'm not going to mention the team, but – I was pulling for ULM only because I wanted Troy with the loss because I think Troy at the end of the season, we already talked about Scott Cross is going to be playing, playing better ball at the end of the season than they are now. And I wanted ULM to win that game because I really think ULM only goes about six deep and I don't think they're going to stand up to the rigors of the season. You understand what I'm saying there? Well, well, it's easy to say that right now, not knowing what the last five weeks are going to have. Yeah. Of course. I'm being selfish. I'm, I know. It's easy to say that when you don't know what the next five weeks have. But look, the first three weeks when you had six teams tied for first, and even after that, you've still got four teams that are tied for first a month into conference play. If, if the rest of it is anywhere close to how it started – this league, it's it's a lot like football, where I think that people expected the East to just be totally dominant. But then we realized maybe the strength of the league is the fact that they can just beat up on each other and create a lot of near 500 records. Yeah, James Madison technically won the East, but not eligible. So Coastal still represented. But we knew that Troy was the best team in the league this year. They won the conference championship. They won their bowl game. They won 11 games. Good on them. But you have to wonder if basketball is going to follow a similar recipe as football did or if there's going to be a couple of teams here and there on both sides. I know that there's not an East or a West. There's 14 teams. They're not separated like they are in football. But if there's going to be a couple of teams that simply decide to separate and actually create a first and second and third tier. Uh, I, I, I agree. And I, I'm looking at it purely from a Cajun fan standpoint of, I hate you alone, you know, <laughs> but I was pulling for them. And I guess it's my mindset that says they're going to fall because that's what we've seen. But at the same time, you know, they beat the Cajuns in football when they hadn't been very good this past year. So it's kind of hard to, to say that. All right. I know we don't know what's going to happen Thursday, but you pick three games. Let's do the same thing on Saturday. Assuming the usual subjects win, or even if not, what would be the games you would say are must-watch on Saturday? Because this is really – Saturday is a great day because we've got a 2 o'clock game, and then we got a bunch of them at 3, which means I'll be able to sit at home and watch basketball all day until the Cajuns play at 7 o'clock against Georgia Southern. Okay, on Saturday, you've got to have Troy and South Alabama because that's one of the best rivalries in the league. That's a 4 o'clock Eastern tip in Mobile. Uh, let's see, two more. See, ordinarily, I would say Georgia State and Marshall, but the Panthers are struggling. So I'm going to go with Old Dominion and Coastal as, as the other one because Old Dominion should have defeated Coastal in Norfolk a couple of weeks back, but there was a really questionable foul in the final seconds when they were up two. Coastal made three free throws. They won that game by one. 
So there's probably a little bit more animosity on that game. And then the third one, it's, it's got to be Georgia Southern, Louisiana. And even if you don't know the fact that Georgia Southern has won four in a row at the Cajun Dome, you would agree that regardless of the sport, this has become a nice little rivalry between the Eagles and Cajuns. Whether it's football, basketball, baseball, I know that there's a lot of earth that separates the two. But for whatever reason, when these two get together, it's compelling. It, it is just good stuff to watch. I, I would agree with all of that. I think it, it, it doesn't matter the sport. I think there, there's an opportunity for both teams to win there, and it's become uh, some, good, some good, good games to watch, to listen to, and so on so forth. If I had to pick a fourth game, and I'm not going to go into all of them, but that Texas State-Southern Miss game is intriguing to me. Because Texas State is, do they wake up? Does Southern Miss fall asleep type of deal, you know? I think Texas State is not that bad of a team. And I think Southern Miss is a pretty damn good team. Well, you've got both of them at their strengths. Texas State is clearly a better team away from San Marcos. And Southern Miss has been phenomenal at Reed Green Coliseum this year. So, that's probably the dark horse for game of the day. And especially if Texas State beats Georgia Southern on Thursday, a chance to sweep the weekend, and they're right back in the thick of it. Absolutely. Well, Danny, uh, before we go, uh, we talked a little bit about it off air. Baseball season starting on coming up this week, and, and you and I are both baseball guys. I talked to Mr. Colin Lacey earlier in the week to, to pick his brain on an FM transmitter that he had sent me information before on that I somehow lost, which is not unusual. Uh, but baseball is coming up. Uh, just a quick glance. We got some new teams. We know about Southern Miss. You know, you got Old Dominion. You got Marshall. You got James Madison. Uh, does, and I think we saw one report that the the league, uh, this is one guy's pick, which is kind of like bowl. Bowl, uh, where, where some guy, somebody thinks bowls are, who's going to play in what bowl in week five of the season. But at the same time, had five Sunbelt teams in, in the tournament. Do you, I mean, do you, I mean, there's some good baseball. Well, how many teams got in last year? If you count Southern Miss, five. Okay. Old Dominion the year before was a one seed. They didn't get a chance to host. They were in Columbia. They were a one seed that year. And I know that old, that James Madison and Marshall aren't great, but they are still more than adequate enough to scare somebody. They're not going to be looked at as being upper echelon baseball, at least at this point. But it's not out of the question to think that five don't get in. Southern Miss is a top 20 team going into the season. The Cajuns are the defending champions. Georgia Southern is off a 41-win season. Texas State just won 45. Coastal clearly has figured out a new way to play. Last year was a different team than those first couple of years when they joined the Sun Belt. Do they continue it? I don't know. And by the way, South Alabama is a really good program that didn't do too well last year. And I, I can't think that Mark Calvey is going to be down for very long. So some combination of the 14 teams, I don't think it's crazy to think that five get in. Don't sell Georgia Southern short. Also a number one seed last year. Number so, 16 overall seed. We appreciate that. Thanks so, very much. Uh, and that was, that was a lot. Look, that was, that was fantastic. It, it, it really was. And look, I don't know if that's going to be the standard going forward, or if that's simply a, the stars aligned to be able to get a chance to host, but once you get a taste of something like that, you want a whole lot more of it. And you want a chance to go to the Supers. You want a chance to go back to Omaha, where Georgia Southern has not been since 1990. But when you can have the kind of success of a last year, look, Texas State probably should have gone to Omaha. They, they probably should have. They, they, they had Stanford on the ropes. They, 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 they just did. And if they would have hosted, they would have had UConn, and they probably would have gone. But – that, that just creates a hunger for a lot of teams going into this year. All I can tell you is I've been watching, well, more than 40 years of 
but really 40 years of Cajun baseball since since my time here in Lafayette is enjoy every minute of it, Danny. It's a, it's one of those things that I, I as much as I loved going on the road and watching regionals, it, it's something special for that team and that coach to host them because that doesn't happen too often, especially at our level. We tend to get screwed a little bit. So well, I know you. I know you guys have hosted a couple of times. I know Coastal had a chance to host, but to be one of the sixteen teams that had a regional last year, and to watch the community come together and welcome UNCG, Texas Tech, and Notre Dame to Little Statesboro, Georgia, for what turned out to be a really good couple of days of baseball. I know that Mother Nature had its say as well, delaying two of those games by a long time. But to watch Ty Fisher throw a shutout against UNCG in a regional that you hosted, and then to host Notre Dame that night and be up by two runs going into the seventh inning against a team that played in Omaha, that, that, that just shows you how close the Georgia Southern was. And I know that the other teams that were in it could say that they were just as close if a couple of things would have gone their way too. I know we're friends on Facebook, follow each other on Twitter as well. I, and I follow Georgia Southern Baseball on Twitter. Are there some upgrades coming to the to the stadium there? Did I see some work being done? Yeah, they haven't gone public with the major project, but it's going to be around a $10 million renovation for the overall clubhouse and the facility itself down the third baseline and the left field line. They're going to redo the batting cages. They're going to add a pitching lab. They're going to have a mudroom to rub up the baseballs. They're going to triple the size of the baseball facility. They're also this year as part of another series of projects, they're going to add a deck on the right field side, which is going to start on top of the blue monster and it's going to stretch into the shorter fence and right center field, very similar to the party deck that South Alabama has at Eddie Stanky field. So that's going to be part of some of the renovations going into this season when West Virginia is in town to start the year. And I believe there's a couple of other things that they're working on down that right field line because they added some stands just short of the bullpen down the right field line for the regional last year. That had not been done before. And now it looks like that's something they're going to be able to at least tinker with and figure out if they can have on a permanent basis whenever the season begins. But when you, when you host a regional, you have a chance to work on some things and see what's possible. And you've got a lot of interest and a lot of buzz around the program. So this is definitely a strike while the iron is hot kind of deal. Absolutely. And Dr. Maggard, if you're listening, that was always one of Coach Robe's dream is a party deck out in the outfield. So let's get it done, buddy. And we're working on raising money for a new clubhouse and indoor batting cage and everything. So we've talked a lot. We talked some football. We talked some basketball. We've talked some baseball even tonight. Any last words of wisdom on any one of those or all of those? I'll give you the last word. Uh, well, number one, being just a little bit short of a month out from baseball, uh, enjoy the little bit of time that we have left because once it starts, it is, it, it's a jogging sprint, I'll, I'll say, because sometimes you've got three games in a week, sometimes it's four and five, but I, I think the league is on the cusp of having a historic 2023 baseball season and even softball because just recently getting as many as four teams in. And I know I can speak to that from the Cajuns because they're one of the top programs in the country. I know the goal is always to get to the Women's College World Series as well. But for our, our basketball teams, you're not going to win the league and you're not going to lose the league this weekend. There's, there's, a, there's a lot to be decided. You wonder if 12 or 13 league wins is going to be enough to take the regular season championship, which gives you the automatic bid to the NIT. But the comforting thing about this arrangement is that all 14 teams go to Pensacola. They, the bottom four play Tuesday. You got the next round on Thursday. Then you've got Saturday, Sunday, Monday to figure out who goes to the NCAA tournament. And that's all the week before March Madness starts. So whatever your team is working on if it doesn't get figured out this weekend it ain't the end of the world because there's a lot of other teams that are feeling the exact same way 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Danny, I appreciate your time as always. Um, it's been too long, brother. It's been, uh, I had surgery on December 20th. So yeah, I'm not about sure. yeah. So uh, good to see your smiling face. Uh, and we will see you in Lafayette on Friday evening and Saturday evening. We will so, be there on Friday. Can't wait. Uh, I will have a uh, an adult beverage waiting for you, and we will find some somewhere to go have a, a good meal. There's there's one or two places in Lafayette, uh, as you remember. So I've heard that. I have heard that. All right, man. We will talk to you next week, hopefully, if all things work out. Um, safe travels, and uh, go ahead and give us one J impersonation if you want to. No, he's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. All right. I, I, I am a believer in karma. I am not going to do that right now. Well, I've got some pictures of him. I told him I would not post until he retires because <laughs> what, I'm a believer in karma as well. So, and uh, I, that's all I'm going to say. Sorry. You've been listening to We're Talking. We've been talking basketball, football, baseball. We've been doing it all tonight. With Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. We'll talk to you next week. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.